Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want to... Um I want to share with you or talk to you about the God's refining process. Uh, what I mean by that is the painful process that God takes us through in order to shape us into the kind of people that are able to hold His glory. And um, this refining refining uh, process, I believe, is for the purpose of emptying us of our own selves, emptying us of our own pride, in order to make room to be filled with Himself. Amen? And that's, that's the whole purpose of the process. And we see it right through the Bible when God calls an individual he takes him through a process, and sometimes that process is painful, painful to the flesh. And there is suffering involved as a result of the process that God takes us through in order to shape us, in order to mold us into the kind of people that He destined us to be. Uh, and so um, it is. It is not comfortable. Let's put it that way. When we come to Christ, He receives us just as we are. He accepts us and He loves us unconditionally. The problem, though, is He does not leave us as we are. The Bible says that God disciplines every son and every daughter whom He receives. I don't know if you ever read that in your Bible. But in my Bible, it says in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 5 and 6, the writer to the Hebrews encourages the people that have gone and are going through discipline. And he says the following, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord nor faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receives. Now that word scourging is a very heavy word. Why does God do that? If he's a God of love, why does he chasten? Why does he discipline his children? The Bible says so that we can become partakers of His holiness. God is not interested in the provision of our comfort. He is interested in the production of our character. He is looking for steadfastness. He is looking for faith. He is looking for character. He is looking for patience. You don't learn that in school. You learn that through the hard knocks of life. And we look at the life, for example, of the prodigal son. He was so full of himself and so entitled 
he came to the father and he said, give me my inheritance. I no longer want to live with you or under your roof. I want your, your blessing. I want what's belonged to me, but I don't want to stay with you. The father just released him and blessed him, gave him his inheritance, and he went. The father understood that there is certain lessons the son cannot learn until and unless he goes through a time of suffering and affliction. So the prodigal son went, he spent all that he had, and he ended up looking after hogs. And then in that state of suffering and affliction, the Bible says he came to his senses. He came to himself. And he realized what he had, and he said, I will arise, and I will go back and say to my father, forgive me, I have sinned against you and against heaven. Can I become one of your hired servants? Now look at the difference, the humility, the attitude in which he comes back. Why? Because he went through suffering. David said, it is good that I was afflicted so that I may learn your statutes. There is a powerful verse in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 66, verse 10 through 12 says, For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to reach fulfillment. You see, this God's, that's God's plan. That's God's purpose. Sometimes we're so obsessed with what we are doing and so um, focused and, and committed in doing our own thing that God has to do something extraordinary to jolt us in order to wake us up. And that happens time and time again. That is not God's best. But if God cannot reach us any other way, if we are unable to hear the warnings or the voice of the Lord, God has no choice. He's not going to let you go your own way and end up in hell. He is going to pull the rug under your feet and to come to a place where you realize I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And let me say this, there are many, many people in churches today that are out of place. They are not where God ordained them to be. And so it's a very painful place to be in. If you're not where God wants you to be, it's painful. You disjoint it. Have you ever had one of the parts of your body disjointed? Your whole body is, is painful because it's disjointed. Many believers are disjointed. They're not in the place where God has called them to be. And they're not functioning to the best of their capacity. So what does God have to do? He has to do something extraordinary to jolt them in order to wake them and to say, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. My ex-pastor, some of you may know him, his name is Henry Jackson. Pastoring for many years in Masvingo in Guero, he was a man that he loved this country so much he would die rather than leave. 
and he would send out circulars encouraging people to stay and to work with what they have, circular after circular. He owned a farm as well as he was a minister. What happened? One day, they accused him of stealing cattle. They found cattle, they said, in his, because they wanted to take the farm from him. So he went to court, court, and a court case and all of that. And he was so, how can I put it, so anxious because they said to him, you're going to end up in jail. And you know what it's like ending up in jail, especially in some... During the court case, he fainted. And the lawyer said to him, get out of Zimbabwe now. Him and his wife left at night with one suitcase. Today, his ministry reaches farmers all across South Africa, where many preachers would not go. He clocks on his car hundreds and thousands of kilometers going to the most remote places to minister to farmers, to communities, to the Dutch Reformed people. His ministry has exploded. He wouldn't listen to the voice of the Lord. He was so engrossed. But it wasn't God's will for him to stay in Zimbabwe. God's will was for him to reposition himself in South Africa so God can anoint and bless him and he may become a great blessing to many people. But he wouldn't leave. So what did God have to do? He jolted him. <laughs> have you ever been <laughs> jolted with, with, uh, with electricity? <laughs> you know, uh, um, a friend of mine, uh, I go for a walk every morning for about one and a half hours. It's still dark when I walk. And he said to me, uh, listen, for the sake of your wife, you better get one of those sticks or walking sticks that you can zap people if they, <laughs> if they come near you. And he sent me the photo and Stephen researched and I got one of those. It's a, it's a hiking uh, stick, but man, nine, 950 watts. They can, <laughs> they can disperse, it, it can disperse 950 watts. I've read the manual and it says if you keep that for four seconds on a person or knock him down to the ground, he will be completely confused. He wouldn't know where he is. <laughs> and what am I getting at? Before God shapes us into the kind of people he has destined us to be, he repositions and realigns us. God doesn't want you in that place. He wants you over there. But you're so engrossed in what you're doing, you're so pursuing your own thing, that he can't get your attention. So God, because he loves you so much, he doesn't want you to miss anything. He will jolt you in order to reposition you and realign you. And he does that from time to time. Look at the life of Moses. Moses was a prince in Egypt. He had everything at his disposal. He ended up killing an Egyptian. He left Egypt at night. And for 40 years, he wandered in the desert. Why 40 years? Because it took that long to get Egypt out of Moses and to train him in the way that God wanted to train him. 
And after 40 years, he was ready to go and do what God called him to do, to deliver his people from Egypt. He couldn't do it while Moses was in Egypt because he was full of the wisdom of the Egyptians. He needed to be retrained. He needed to be equipped. And most of all, he needed to be humbled. God knows what it will take to break us. When I say break, I mean uh, bring us to the end of ourselves so that we can look up. And he knows exactly what it will take for us to humble ourselves before him. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, there is a verse of scripture that says, we who are born of the Spirit, we who are children of God, are <clears throat> we are His workmanship that are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know that God prepared for each and every one of us certain good works to walk in, to do. Okay? that they already been prepared. God ordained your destiny before you got here. He ordained the works that you should be doing before you arrived. The works are prepared. There's no need to prepare the works. The problem is we are not prepared to do those works. We want to do our own works. We want to pursue our own dreams. And God says, the dream that I have for you is far greater than your own. But the only way I can reveal my dream to you is if you die to your own dream. And no one dies with a smile on his face. <laughs> Listen to what Oswald Chambers wrote. He was a prolific writer, Oswald James. <clears throat> Oswald um, Chambers. He says, God can never make us whine if we object to the fingers he uses to crush us with. If God would only use his own fingers and make me broken bread and poured out wine in a special way. But when he uses someone whom we dislike or some set of circumstances to which we said we would never submit and makes those the crushers, we object. We must never choose the scene, the scene of our own martyrdom. If ever we are going to be made into wine, we will have to be crushed. You cannot drink grapes. Grapes become wine only when they have been squeezed. Have you ever been squeezed lately? <laughs> have you ever felt like, man, I can't take any more of this. I am being crushed. <laughs> It's God because he loves you so much. I remember my own crushing. He used an instrument that was very rough. My father-in-law was a just man, but he was a very, um, how can I put it? Um, uh, straightforward, but many times harsh. As long as I saw the hand of my father-in-law, I rebelled. But one day God opened my eyes and said, Son, it's me. I'm using him to crush you, your pride, 
your selfishness, your self-centeredness. This is my discipline. The harder you resist, the more difficult will become. Remember what God said to Paul? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. You know what a goat is? The more you kick against it, the deeper it goes and the more painful it is. Do not reject the discipline of the Lord. It is God's way of molding you, shaping you into the kind of vessel that he destined you to be in order to do the works that he called you to do. Amen? The problem is never with the works God prepared. The problem is us. We become rebellious. We become stubborn. We become selfish. We become so attached to our own ways. And what does God have to do in order to detach us from that? He uses circumstances. He uses people. He uses relationships. What we need to do is to humble ourselves before him and say, Lord, here I am. I am your vessel. Make me to whatever you called me to be. If I'm going to hold your glory, I have to submit to the process you take me through. If I do not submit to that process, I only prolong the suffering. Amen. Here, in order to minister to Jeremiah, the Lord said to him in Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 2 and 6, Go down, Jeremiah, to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. That's who we are, clay in the potter's hand. Let him shape you what he wants to make you. Allow him to work. Allow the spirit to work. Soften your attitude. Soften your heart. Become pliable in his hands and let him take you where he wants to take you. Many times I say to the Lord, my life, Lord, is not my own. I don't own my life. I don't own my time. There is nothing. I belong to you. You purchased me with a price, not just any price. You bought me with the precious blood of Christ, that of a lamb without blemish and without spot. God paid the greatest price for you and I, and he bought us to himself. We don't belong to ourselves. That means I cannot make my own decisions without consulting him. I cannot go where I want to go without the Lord sending me there. Amen. We are the Lord's property. And the sooner we realize that, the much, much easier it will become for us to become disciples and do what he tells us to do. Ultimately, God, when we stand before the throne of his, of his grace, of his judgment for our rewards, 
He's going to say to us and ask us, did you do what I told you to do? That's the question he's going to, did you do what I told you, what I commanded you to do? And that day we're going to have to answer and give him an answer for what we have done in this body. Lord, I wanted to do, you know, to, um, to evangelize, but I didn't call you to be an evangelist. I called you to be a businessman. Others will say, uh, you know, I, 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 I loved accounting and I wanted to do account, but I didn't call you to be an accountant. My calling on your life was to be a pastor. You know, we can do many good things. That doesn't mean they got things. So we have to be very careful that what we are doing is what we are destined by God to do so that we can receive the maximum rewards that he has for us. How do I know I'm in the will of God? How do I know that I am doing what God called me to do? I have peace. The peace of God is the umpire. I'm not stressed. I'm not troubled. I don't care what goes on around me, the, the politics, the wars, the, the, the fears that are going around, the crime in South Africa. I am at peace. I go to bed at night, I lay my head on the pillow and I sleep. Why? Because I know I am walking in the center of the will of God and that is the safest place for you and I to be. There's no other safer place. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. There's protection there. There's joy there. There's peace there. There is fruitfulness there. What is the secret place? Is the place of doing what God called you to do, obedience. There's no safer place. You can be in the middle of the war zone and God will protect you and take care of you if you're doing his will. And all of us have to ask ourselves, am I in the place where God called me to be? Well, how do I know that? If you don't have peace, if you are going through severe, I don't know, turmoil, anxiousness, stress, uh, lack of finances sometimes, sometimes your finances will just dry out because you're in the wrong place. Elijah is a servant of the Lord. He's there by the, by the brook. In the daytime, the ravens bring him meat. He drinks from the water and there came a day because of the drought, the brook dried up and God spoke. He said, arise, get up from there, go to Zarephath. I have commanded a widow to take care of you and feed you. What would have happened if Elijah stayed there by the, by the brook? I'll tell you something, he would have died. And many believers are dying spiritually because they refuse to move where God leads them. They so obsessed with what they're doing and some of them are so comfortable where they are so what does god have to do he have to orchestrate circumstances jolt them and then lord what is it you want we fall on our knees we cry out to him lord help me here and he does he reaches out he grabs us by the hand and he leads us in the way that we should go Psalm 32 and verse 8. I want you to find that verse. It's a very uh, um, revealing verse. Psalm 32 and verse 8. This is what it says. 
God's speaking here and he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. <laughs> you know, that's intimacy. I remember my father-in-law, uh, my wife would, would, would often tell us the story. All my dad had to do was just give us the look. <laughs> and immediately they knew by the look what the father meant or what the father wanted them to do. And that's how God says, I want to guide you with my, I want you to be so close to me, looking unto Jesus. And are you so intimate with me that all I have to do is just give you the look, give you the prompt, a gentle whisper, and you will know. I will, I will guide you in the way you should go. Then he says, do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they would not come near you. If we refuse the look, then we must accept the bridle. You know what a bridle is. You get pulled. Why? Because God loves you. And he's not going to leave you the way you are. He's got to shape you. Why? Because he destined some wonderful, magnificent works for you to do. So when you stand before him, you can say, Father, I have done what you have commanded me to do. Just like Paul said, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I finished my work. Amen. There comes a time when our work is finished, then we rest. But until then, we follow step by step by step. Lord, what is it your will for me this morning? We mustn't become so arrogant that we think we know what God wants. And I'm learning this only after so many years. Holy Spirit, what is it you plan for me this morning or today? What do, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? And he would bring people to my memory and I would pray for them. Sometimes I would call them and encourage them. Sometimes I would send them a text message because that's what God called me to be, to be an encourager, to, to encourage people, to exhort them and to build them up in the faith. Amen. Amen. Am I correct? Am I right? You agree with me? <laughs> Let's take uh, one more example before I finish. Take, for example, Joseph. Joseph, when he was 16 years of age, God gave him a dream in his father's tent and showed him the end from the beginning, that he would become great, that others would bow before him, even his own parents. That was 16. What happened? The next thing that happened, it just, the rug was pulled from under his feet. His own brothers sold him as a slave to the Egyptians, betrayed by his own flesh and blood. And he went to Egypt as a slave. He worked in Potiphar's house. Then he was falsely accused and he was thrown into the dungeons of Egypt for something he didn't do. What would you do if it was you? Lord, you told me this and this and this, and what I'm experiencing is so different from what you promised me. 
he must have been confused as a young man. He had no Bible, no church to go to, no other believer to fellowship with. A young man standing on his own. Imagine the kind of faith this young man had. And he stood straight. When he was tempted by the Potiphar's wife, he refused her. He was thrown in jail. And there in jail, he found favor. And he started ministering and serving the people there, the butler and the baker. And when they were released, the one was released, the one was hanged, they forgot him. But God did not forget him. Yet not once did we read in the Bible that Joseph complained or asked, where are you, O God? So often when we go through such painful suffering, we say, where are you? Does God still love me? Or has he forgotten me? No, he hasn't forgotten you. In fact, God does his greatest work in the darkest hour. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So when we go through that kind of discipline and chastisement, there's only one thing to do. We humble ourselves and say, Lord, here I am. I humble myself before you. Help me to walk through this process and not to prolong it so that I may become the type of instrument you called me to be. Some of us are called to be swords, others battle axe. We break through things, we, we get things done. God fashioned us that way. We have a forehead like a flint. Others are gentle and soft and kind because that's how God wants them to be, to minister to people. You see, but all of these things are part of God's plan for our lives. You see, and many believers, and I'm closing with this, because of the crushing process, they leave the place where they are. They can't take it. Many believers leave churches for the wrong reasons. Because when God starts putting his finger on something, then we become offended. I don't like the church anymore. Why? Well, the, nobody loves me or the pastor said this or did that. And we don't realize that it's perhaps God is trying to deal with us. Amen? The first thing we do when we go through suffering is, Lord, take me out of this. And God says, no, I want you to stay there because I want you to learn lessons you cannot learn any other way. So please listen to the Spirit as we pray. Don't harden your heart when you hear his voice, the Bible says. Become pliable. Father, thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for the discipline that you put every child of yours through. Because you care, because you love, you discipline us, you correct us. You don't want to leave us the way we are so that we may end up in a place that we will suffer for eternity. We ask that you would reveal your plan, yourself to us. For when we have understanding and enlightenment of these things, we're more ready to submit to the process that you take us through. Father, you've placed greatness in each and every one of us. 
But this greatness cannot be released from us or manifest unless we go through the process you have prepared for each one of us. I pray that by your spirit you comfort each one, you minister to them individually and privately where you alone can minister to them. Embrace them in your loving care, comfort them, and bless them with the assurance of your loving kindness, even though they go through difficult and hard times. I ask this in Jesus' name, and I thank you for it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.